Well, I've been studying Hebrews, getting ready for our book study this coming year in 2020. There's several things we're going to do in 2020 that are important things. One of them is we're going to get back to verse by verse. We've been off for a year doing some things topically as a church and covering some important things, uh, but our normal mode is verse by verse through books of the Bible. And so we're going to be starting in the book of Hebrews. Now, I mentioned January, but in reality, I was uh, thinking uh, yesterday or Friday that it's really probably going to be February 1st before we start that book for the simple reason of the other important things that we're doing, and that is launching or continuing to launch this prayer initiative that is so important in this year 2020. This is perfect vision. This is 2020 vision that we be a house of prayer. And I'm so delighted for all the folks who have been coming to pray on Sunday mornings early, who come and sit in this room and pray for a while and then gather down here with me and pray for you, pray for this service, pray that Jesus would be glorified. I'm so encouraged by that. I'm so grateful that there are initiatives going on to establish other prayer rendezvous during the week via video conferencing. One group had a video conference prayer meeting this past Wednesday morning at 7 a.m., and several men gathered there, and they prayed together, worshiped together, sought God together. We're going to see a few of those scattered through the week during 2020. We're going to be praying. You've, as a church, we have prayed this past, just this past few months for over something like 1,200 homes over this past few months as we've been doing our Bless Every Home or Pray and Go outreach. And I'm so excited about this coming year. I know it's going to be cold for a while. It's going to be a little difficult to get out and do that. But man, come spring, I'm so excited when we can hit the streets again with, uh, uh, and just enjoy being out together and praying for our neighborhoods and our communities. What an important thing that we're doing. It, it just speaks to my heart. And then the other thing that we're doing and we said that this month of December that we're wrapping up a couple of presents that we can give. One is the present of the gospel, being prepared to share the gospel. And we'll talk a little bit about that this morning and next Sunday before Christmas Eve. And then the other thing we're going to be doing is getting ready and wrapping up a gift of prayer. A gift of prayer. And that gift of prayer is what we're calling in January, who's your one? Now, those of you that are here today, you're going to get a jump on everybody else because we're going to ask the um, uh, Andy, I'm going to need one of the ushers down here during communion, just giving these uh, out to each person that comes through, okay? And on the back of this is a place for you to write the name of the person who's your one, that person that you're going to be laser-focused in January, praying for their salvation. There are scriptures for each day, day 1 through 30. There's a different scripture passage. You can pray that scripture over the person you're praying for. We're going to give you a little book next week that's going to tell you about more about who's your one. But 
I would like as many of you as possible today. We're going to take, we're going to, during communion, we're going to have a quiet communion time. We won't be singing songs. What I want you to do as you come through today, I'd like you to just take some time. I know we've asked you to already be thinking about this. Take some time to think about it and to write down in this spot who's your one. Who's the person for whose salvation you are praying and hoping that you may even have the opportunity to share Christ with them. So we'll give these out to you at the communion time, and we'll have a little soft music going, but what I'd like you to do is take some time during communion and just put down that person who's your one, pray about it. Maybe you haven't even thought about it yet. Today's a good time to think about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you who your one is. And then spend some time during communion praying for that person. But we'll launch this on January the first. So we'll give one of those uh, out to you uh, at, the, uh, at the communion line in just a little bit. All right? Now, um, so we've been encouraging you to download the app, the Life on Mission app. It's a wonderful little application that enables you to share the gospel with other people and to do it through pictures. And there's instructions on that app, and there's different things you can use there. But let's just review uh, quickly. We begin with God's design. We said a, few, a couple of Sundays ago that God's design is what? What's God's design? What does God want for His people? Goodness. He, he has a good design. Everything that God created, He said, was very good. Very good. And God's whole design for His creation was that His creation would flourish. That we'd flourish under His benevolent rule and reign. God has always wanted His people to flourish and to grow and to enjoy the things that He wants to give them and to enjoy a relationship with Him and to have wonderful relationships and creativity and industry and work and all kinds of wonderful things. So God, when He began the world, He began it with a good design in mind. But what did we do with God's design? We rejected that design. We rejected that design. We said, no, no, no. God, we know better than you. We think we've got a better way of doing things than you. And so we said no to God. We rebelled against God. And ever since that time, all men have been born as those who are rebels against God. It's built into our DNA. Anyone who's ever raised a child knows this especially about two years old. You know it is written in our DNA to be independent, to resist authority, to resist the very goodness that our parents wish for us to say, no, I got a better idea. I said I had a better idea all the way till I was almost 18 years old, and it cost me dearly. But that's who we are. We continue to rebel against God. We rebel against God in all kinds of ways. We commit sins to be sure. Adultery, murder, anger, hatred, pride, bigotry, 
laziness, all kinds of things are sinful behaviors. Why are they sinful behaviors? Because they reject God's good design for our lives. We reject His good design. And so what do we end up with? We end up with brokenness. We end up with a world around us that's full of brokenness. We see it everywhere we look. Broken relationships, broken hearts, broken families, broken governmental systems, broken legal systems, broken schools, broken institutions of one kind or another. We see brokenness in our world from the top to the bottom. And we look for ways. That's what those little lines going away from brokenness represent. We look for ways to try to feel better, to try to get happy because we're missing genuine joy. And so we look for ways to deal with our brokenness. We look for ways to break out of that. Some people turn to very, very moral behavior. Some people turn to lives of, life of addiction. Some people turn to different vices. But we're looking for some way to mitigate the effect of this brokenness in our lives and bring us some sense of peace and wholeness and joy. But it doesn't happen. And so what we have to do at that point is understand that God's got an answer. Someone say amen. God's got an answer for our brokenness. But like anything having to do with God the Father, it's His design, it's His plan, and we have to be willing to surrender once again, yet again, to His plan, His good news for us. And what is that good news? What is that good news? I love this season because we talk about it, Emmanuel. God with us. I love that passage in Philippians where Paul says that, uh, that, that, that God gave him the name above every name. What's that name? It's the name of Jesus. He gave Jesus. He gave his son that name. What did that son do? That son left his place in un restrained glory, unlimited glory, and He took on what? Human flesh. He became the incarnate one. Incarnation is a fundamental Christian doctrine that God became man. In order to rescue us, God could not give us a better game plan. He'd already given us the best game plan. We rejected His game plan, and because we had embraced rebellion and sin, we were now separated from Him. Separated from Him for all eternity, having nothing to look forward to but judgment, death, and eternal separation from God. What we commonly refer to as hell, the absence of God. And when you have an absence of God, you have an absence of everything that is good. In hell, there's no love, there's no joy, there's no light, there's no peace, there's no health, there's no love, there's no kindness, there's no mercy, there's no tenderness, there's no goodness, because all these things are the good gifts of who? Of God the Father. And if we choose to be separated from God, if we choose to say no to God, then hell, whatever else it may be, is the absence of every single thing that is good 
and we are left with all that is not good in our world. Hell's a miserable place. It's an awful place. But it's a place that nobody goes to except by their own choosing. They go by their own choosing. God gave us an answer. He gave us an answer in the person of His Son. Philippians says that He took on flesh. He was found in the likeness of human flesh. What a likeness. What a likeness. Not as some full-grown, winged, uh, uh, dimming, little G-god of some kind with fireballs flowing from his hands and lightning bolts coming out of his eyes and raising up like a phoenix over the world to tell everybody how wonderful he was. He didn't come like that, did he? No. How did he come? He came as a baby. He came as a baby. He entered into our world. He's walked where we've walked. He's felt what we've felt. He's experienced the things that we've experienced. He knows what it is to grow. He knows what it is to face temptation and trial and struggle. And he knows what, he, what it is to live the life that we couldn't live. To live a life of perfection. To live a life of holiness. To live a life in which he never once broke God's law ever in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Jesus lived the life I cannot live. My ship has sailed. Even if I lived a perfect life from this day forward, there's already enough baggage in my history that I'm already condemned. I'm already guilty of offending the God of the universe. I'm already worthy of nothing but His judgment and His condemnation. Justly so. Rightly so. God's not unfair. He's not unkind. He is holy. He is good. He is righteous. He is just. And God must punish sin. And so I deserve nothing less than that. But Jesus did something that none of us could do, didn't He? He lived a perfect life. There was no sin found in Him. As Paul said, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He took on sin for us. You've heard me say before that one of my favorite uh, pictures is Jesus standing in front of John the Baptist. All of his life now, he's grown. He's now about 30 years old. He's been living a life of obscurity there's no major stories. There's no headlines. There's nothing that we really know about Jesus from the time that he went home from Jerusalem with Mary and Joseph until he shows up at the River Jordan. What had he been doing all that time? Speculation is all we have. You can find some weird stories out there if you go looking for them of little miracles that baby Jesus was doing as he was walking around, but you can't put a lot of confidence in those. They're not Scripture. They're just extra sources of people that have made things up over the years. Jesus was at home with Mary and with Joseph, and he was living a life of perfect obedience. Of perfect obedience. And when he steps up to John the Baptist at the River Jordan, he's standing beside waters where John has called 
men and women to come and to repent, to turn away from their sins. He was announcing that the kingdom of God is coming. God's kingdom is breaking into this world. You need to get ready. You need to be looking for it. You need to turn away from your sin. And so one by one, they would step into those waters. They would step into those waters and John would baptize them. And in their, their minds, that, uh, that adultery was flowing down the stream. That hatred was flowing down the stream. That, that thievery and that cheating, the dishonesty, the murder, the, 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 the sins of every kind, the pride, the arrogance, the law-breaking, the dishonoring of God, the dishonoring of authority, the dishonoring of parents, and, and everything, the idolatry of their lives. They stepped into those waters and said, yeah, I want to leave this behind. And in their imagination, those things are flowing out down the river Jordan, cleansed from those things. Those were some filthy waters. Imagine the worst thing you've ever thought, the worst thing you've ever imagined, the worst thing you've ever done in your life. And stepping into those waters. And what does Jesus do? Jesus comes and says, I need to be baptized. And what does John say? In so many words, he says, what are you, nuts? Are you crazy? He said, I should be baptized by you. There's a, I'm standing here with you. Only one of us is perfect. Only one of us is Messiah. Only one of us is here to rescue the world, and it's not me. I'm just a messenger. I'm just sending out that message. And so, John says, you, you baptize me. And Jesus says, no can't do it. He says to him, let it be so for now in order to fulfill all righteousness. What? 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 In order to fulfill all righteousness. How, how, how is he going to do that? R righteousness in terms of God is this, perfection. Righteousness is no law-breaking, no sin, no stain, no giving in, no, no, no negative thoughts, no negative motivations, nothing but pure goodness and perfection. And God says, this is what I want for you. I want righteousness. We don't have a chance of being that. Jesus steps into those waters with John and says, I need to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. How was he going to do that? He was going to do that by stepping into the sewer of our sins, going down under those waters, and rising out of those waters with the sinfulness of all humanity dripping off of him in that moment. And God the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Why was He well pleased? Because Jesus took probably the first of several, but the most, one of the most important steps He could take in obedience to His Father. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And the waters of those things 
were dripping off of him that day and every day. Every day, he was in the waters of our sinfulness every day. Sitting in front of that woman taken in adultery, all of those men gathered around with their horrific faces, their maniacal grins, their, their longing to see human justice, their morality, their superior moralness imposed upon this woman taken in adultery. And the, 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 the Scriptures say, Jesus, she should be stoned to death, and we've got rocks in our hands and we're ready. Jesus looks at that woman and her adultery is dripping onto him. You're catching the image here. It's, he's taking that on. And not only that, he's taking on, he's, he's being baptized, as it were, in that moment in the ugliness and the hatred and the pseudo-morality, and the fake righteousness, and the pridefulness, and the bigotry, and the anger of humanity all around ready to murder that woman under the guise of justice. He's swimming in the waters. All of humanity's sinfulness is dripping off of Jesus. He's walking through this world. He's walking through this world with the sinfulness of your life and the sinfulness of my life and the sinfulness of the worst people you can imagine and by the way, the sinfulness of the best people you can imagine. It's dripping off of Him. He's walking through this world being obedient, being strong, being faithful feeling the weight of it. You think Jesus only felt our sin on a cross? You think Jesus only experienced the horror of this world's sinfulness when He finally got to the cross? I tell you, He was carrying that cross from the moment He left the waters of Jordan. He was carrying that cross from the moment He got out of those waters with every sinful thing in the world that men had confessed dripping now off of him because there was only one way they could be forgiven, and that was if he carried those sins all the way to that eventual place called Calvary where he would be put to death, where nails would be driven into his hands and to his feet, a crown of thorns shoved on his brow, spear thrust into his side, all of this after being scourged and mocked by the people he was there to save. Even the one who boasted that he loved him the most cursed his name and denied knowing him at the moment Jesus needed just one friend. But there was no friend for Jesus. Not one. He carried our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us in order that we might become 
the what? Say it again, what? Everybody say it. The righteousness. In order that you may become righteous? No, no. In order that you would improve and be better? No, 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 no. That's what we were trying to say last week. There's no improvement program. There's no merit scale here. There's no gaining points. There's no points. There's no merit. There's not one thing we can do, not one thing we can add. Anything I try to add is just taking more water out of my own self-righteousness and throwing it on the baptized son and saying, carry that to the cross as well. There's a whole message on that iPad right now. I have not preached this morning. (laughs) But I think the Holy Spirit (laughs) is just wanting to remind us of this gospel, of this good news, that he who knew no sin became sin for us. Because the only way, the only way, Mike, you can stand before God ever, ever. Mike, I got bad news. You are one of the strongest. You're one of the, you're a handsome man. We all know that. You're a strong man. You're, you're a disciplined man. You're one of the healthiest guys I know. But Mike, I got news for you one day, brother. You're going to die. You are. So am I. Every single one of us in this room are going to die. And when we die, the Bible says it's appointed to men once to die, and after that we stand before our Maker. How will you stand there? What will be your words? What will be your defense? What will be your excuse? Well, what will be your offering of just the good chapters and the good moments? No, no, no. Here, here is this good news. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been, what? Justified. That lovely word means that as far as God's concerned, it's like what? It is just as if I'd never sinned. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us for while we were still weak, While we were still weak, don't misunderstand this, not physically weak, weak in terms of your defense. It's not a smart thing to go to court with a weak defense, but you have no choice when you stand before God. We are weak with our defense. He says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Everybody say me. Christ died for me, the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. I mean, I mean, you, you'd be willing maybe to die for someone that you love deeply, to protect your children, 
protect a spouse, you might dare to die for someone who loves you, for someone who cares about you, for, for your brother, part of your band of brothers on the front line, men who care about one another, women who care about one another. I'll, I'll, I'll fall on that grenade. I'll confront that thief. I will do what I can do to protect you. Why? Because I love you. Why do I love you? Because I know you love me. You're valuable to me. You care about me. You love me. We did not love him. We did not love him. And we, if we're honest, we love him pitifully as it is. Hey, Meg, you probably love him more. I'm pitiful in my love. Perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died in the face of those who hate him, of those who would mock him, those who who would seek to harm him, those who would want to see him disappear, go away. More than once they tried to kill him. More than once they tried to chase him out of town. One time after he had done something amazing and wonderful and miraculous, and just claimed that he was one who could forgive. They, they grabbed him, took him to the top of a hill. I've stood on that hill. It's a scary place. They wanted to throw him off. Be done with him. That's who we went to the cross for. That's who we went to the cross for. For them, for you, for me. This is the gospel. This is the good news. The good news that if we will put our faith and our hope and our trust in Him, if we will surrender trying to earn something on our own, if we will surrender rebelling against Him, if we will surrender that, then He says, come. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Oh, I wish it was snowing today. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. You can't do that for yourself. You can't stand before the judgment seat of God Almighty and offer anything but sin even your best stuff, it's all it is. But He offers you forgiveness. He offers us His life for ours. He takes our sin and gives us His righteousness. Oh, I got to ask you, are you righteous today? Are you 
holy today. Now, if you're like me, someone asks a question like that, your immediate thought is, heck no, I'm not, I'm not righteous, I'm not holy. Well, then you can't come to this table today. We're about to have communion, and I got news for you, my friend. Unless you're righteous, unless you're holy, you, you can't come to this table, which means it's going to be very lonely up here. Our server is going to be standing there just waiting for the one or two holy or righteous people, at least those who think they are, might come down here. Listen, listen. Jesus invites you to this table because you are righteous. Because that's how He sees you. You say, yeah, but I see, yeah, yeah, I know what you see. You don't like it. I don't like what I see in me. But beloved, that's the whole point of the cross. That's the whole point of why He died. So that when God looks at me, my sin has been laid on Christ, and His righteousness has been laid on me. When God sees me, He sees a perfectly obedient son. Jeff, come on, that's the last thing you are. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But you understand, this is something that God has done. This is, a, this is both an internal reality and a legal transaction. It is both. It is something that God has done. He declares me to be righteous. He declares me not guilty, and He sees me not guilty. i got to quit preaching. i got to stop. You are holy. You are righteous. That is why he says, come to this table. Come to this table and feed upon me. Come to this table and know that my blood is still forgiving you. Come to this table and know that my body broken for you is still effective for you this day. Come to this table and take my gift of this bread and this cup and rejoice that I have made you mine and that you are righteous and you are holy and I see you as a wonderful son, as a wonderful daughter. Oh, I know. We got work to do. There's work to do inside. There's work to do in terms of changing and transforming transforming and the good things I want to do through you. But listen to me, child. All of the good things I want to do through you, all of those things I want to see in your life, all those things I want to see develop in your life, they don't happen before this thing. They happen as a result of this thing. And don't you dare get it backwards. That's why we come every Sunday to do this thing. Because this thing is the thing. And we've got to be about keeping the main thing. The main thing. Because everything flows from that.